Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are in a series on wisdom. Uh, We are calling it skill set, the wisdom of Proverbs and the art of godly living. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about wisdom and sexuality. And uh, it will be a little bit PG-13 Some children, it will be over their head. Uh, Some children will get what I'm saying, but it could be good conversation for you and your child to talk about. I'm trying to just give you a warning. Uh, It's interesting, when we talked about a year ago in the Origins series, we talked about the beginning of identity, relationships, and sexuality, and we approached sexuality from a design framework and a moral framework. In other words, how did God create us as sexual beings? to flourish, and then from his perspective, what is right and what is wrong. And what's interesting about the book of Proverbs is that the book of Proverbs looks at sexuality from a wisdom perspective. In other words, what is wise and what is foolish about sexuality. And I know that as we talk about this, whenever we, whenever we talk about these things, it always brings up shame and pain for people. And my goal is not to do that today, nor is it the goal of Proverbs to bring up people's pain and shame, but rather to examine wisdom and foolishness. And we're going to do that by looking at Proverbs 5 and 7. Now, as we look at Proverbs 5 and 7, you'll see that it's specifically addressed to men about the dangers of married women. And here's why. Proverbs was specifically written as a training manual for young men. So it's not in any way saying ladies are bad, women are bad, or anything like that. It's dealing with a specific situation in Jewish culture when this was written, and that was this, young men, be careful about sexual experiences with women who are married to someone else. But as we understand that, it has a whole lot of wisdom on everything else that we can think about when it comes to sexuality. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read Proverbs 5 and most of Proverbs 7. And as we go through it, I just want to remind you, what what I'm reading is the Bible. Um, So you'll, you'll hear it and you'll go, wow, I didn't know that was in there. But I'm just reading the Bible, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would bless us and keep us and grow us in Christ even now as we uh, look at your word and we pray that you would make us wise. We pray that you would guard us from shame and pain and fear, but help us to uh, experience honesty and authenticity and true growth through your word. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. All right. Proverbs chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps head straight for Sheol. She does not consider the path of life, and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. 
So now, sons, listen to me, and don't turn away from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house, otherwise you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources, and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. And you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him and he will become entangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and I saw among the inexperienced. Do you remember in Proverbs, there's the wise and the fool and the inexperienced. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense crossing the street near her corner. He strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening. In the dark of the night, a woman came to him to meet him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I've fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you, and I've found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come. Let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray unto her paths, for she has brought many down to death and her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. The word of God. Sexuality is a lot of things. But one thing is for certain, sexuality is exciting. It's exciting. 
as passion is kindled and as desire grows, it is easy to get lost in the moment of a sexual encounter because it is exciting. Kathy Gallagher realized this and decided to come up with a line of greeting cards called, uh, or, or actually they were called the Secret Lover Collection, but they were for uh, people who were engaged in acts of infidelity. Now, in the greeting card store, it didn't say, uh, here's the section for cards for people who are cheating on, you know, on their spouse. Rather, it said um, that there are uh, cards about love expressions and intimacy. And the funny thing was, when you opened up the cards, they said things like, I used to look forward to the weekends, but since we met, they seem like an eternity. Another one of the cards said, as we celebrate with our separate families this holiday season, I will be thinking of you. Now these were cards that came out that you could buy in the grocery store for people caught up in the excitement of a sexual affair with someone who was not their spouse and this woman, Kathy Gallagher, tapped in on that financially because she knows that sexual encounters are exciting and you tend to get lost in them and you lose perspective on everything else, whether that's an affair with someone who is not your spouse or whether that is a one-night hookup with someone, whether that is pornography on the website or clicking on that app to find that someone Sex is enticing in the moment. Sex is enticing in the moment. We see that in Proverbs 7. This young man is walking through the street, and it's nighttime. And there is a woman who is dressed seductively, and she is bold. She grabs him and kisses him. But it's not just about what she does. It's about what she says. She says... I'm all about you. This is all about you. I'm here for you. And then in verse 18, more or less, she says this. Here's what I'm going to do to you tonight. Let's go. Let's do this. Now, th this is all in the Bible, as I just said, right? We've stationed buckets of cold water around the sanctuary if you need someone else to throw a bucket on you. But this is just in the Bible, and it proves just by reading these things as we feel uncomfortable that this is in the Bible, that desire, sexual desire is real. It is real. Seduction is real. And that's exactly what she's doing to this young man. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him in with her flattering talk. It makes us just ask the question when it comes to sexuality, are, are we being foolish? Are we being wise? Where are we being lured in closer and closer? Where are we in danger? Could it be someone who's not our spouse? Could, could it be a person who always knows the right thing to say to you to get you in that situation alone and, and do things that later you regret? Could it be that app that's on your phone? that offers you that opportunity to meet that special someone for just one night. We, we tend to get lost in the seduction of a sexual encounter. But Proverbs 5 and 7 says this, 
Here's wisdom when it comes to sexual encounters. Don't get lost. Don't get lost in the moment. Don't get lost in the moment of a sexual encounter. See the bigger picture. That's the first thing it, 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 it says is that when it comes to sexuality, wisdom sees beyond the moment of the sexual encounter. First of all, it sees that when you are spending the night with someone that you don't know, you might feel a connection to them, but you don't actually know them. Proverbs chapter 5, if you can put that up, says, In the end she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down the death, her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. In other words, this woman knows her way around the bedroom, but the young man doesn't realize she's not even good at life. And she is about to slice him and dice him and destroy his life. But he feels connected to her in that moment. But that's foolishness. It's foolishness not to look beyond the moment and go, I really don't know this person. In the end, she's full of bitterness. In the end, she wants to drag him down with her. In a sexual encounter, in a moment, you don't really know them. Secondly, you don't really know where they've been. In chapter 7, verse 11, it says that her feet do not stay at home. In other words, she has told this young man, this is all about you. Except she has said that a hundred times before. She said that a hundred times before. Her feet do not stay at home. She is a professional at luring young men into temptation. So not only does he not know who she is on the inside, he doesn't know where she's been or who she's with, or he doesn't know her why. In 7 verse 10, just the, the, the verse before, it says she has an agenda. She has like this secret agenda that Proverbs doesn't even tell us what it is, but she has an agenda for getting this young man in her house. And he has no clue what it is. Brian Lowry wrote an article called Why Do People Have Sex? And he looked at um, some research that was done at the University of Texas at Austin. And they asked 2,000 people why they have sex. And out of those 2,000 people, there was 237 different answers about why people have sex. And some of the ones were just obvious. Uh, they felt an attraction for another person. Others said it was the way that they feel closer to someone else or to show someone how much they love them. So, some just said it feels good or it's fun. And that's kind of the stuff that we're like, yeah, we would guess that, right? But there were also these answers to why people had sexual encounters that were almost bizarre to think that these are actually going through people's heads. One was, I wanted to boost my social status. Another was, I wanted to get a raise or promotion. Someone dared me. I wanted to punish myself. I wanted to give someone a sexually transmitted disease. When you have a sexual encounter with someone that you do not know, you do not know their why. And that is scary. 
That's why foolishness says, get lost in the moment. But wisdom says, what's the bigger picture? Do, do you really know what's on the inside of the person? Do you know where they've been? And do you know their why? We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Wisdom with sexuality looks bigger to see the consequences of what you're doing. Now, as we watch on TV, it seems that there are very few consequences to sex, right? It, it always works out, and it's always seems like it's amazing, and everything's always timed, and there are no consequences. Everyone is experiencing life to the fullest, uh, but this young man is going to possibly experience some really dark consequences. In chapter 6, verse 32, which we didn't read, it says, the one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys him. Here's his consequence. He will get a beating and dishonor, and his disgrace will never be removed. For jealousy enrages a husband, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. In other words, a young man got caught up with a married woman, and the consequences are his husband will pursue him, or her husband will pursue him relentlessly without mercy. See, I think as the church, it feels at times like we're too focused on sexuality. And I think sometimes we get accused of that, like the church is just so focused on sex, why can't we just like back off a little bit? But N.T. Wright rightly says, our preoccupation reflects the huge, deep, far-reaching importance of sex to humanity. When sex goes wrong, it has profoundly disturbing and disruptive effects on personal relationships and on the family. And so we live in this world where we're told there are no consequences, and so we ignore what our sexuality and what our sexual encounters actually do to other people and ourselves. When people have affairs, do they think about the children involved? When people hook up overnight, do they think about the effects that that might have on the other person? We live in this world where we can't really look at, honestly, at the effects of our sexuality. We're afraid to. An example of this was about 15 years ago, a website came out that was specifically designed to help people have extramarital affairs. By 2008, that website had 4 million subscribers. And I think the, the tagline was something like, uh, life is short, have an affair. And so you would sign up, you would look for someone else who wanted to have an affair, and you would connect online, and then the affair would be initiated. Noel Biederman was the CEO of this company. And a lot of people went after him and said, man, you're destroying families. Like, you're ruining lives with this website. And his response was this, no, 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 we're just a platform. No website or 30-second ad is going to convince anyone to cheat. People cheat because their lives aren't working for them. And then he said, humans aren't meant to be monogamous. In other words, this is totally fine. There are no consequences here. We're just helping people live their fullest life. But then the interviewer said to him, Noel, what would happen 
if your wife were to use the website and have an affair on you? And in a moment of honesty, he said, I would be devastated. (laughs) Four million users, you're helping have affairs, but if your wife has an affair, you would be devastated. Can you see the consequences to your sexual actions? I mean, even as we think about pornography, because it's distanced from us, it's just an image or a movie, we think it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any effect. It doesn't have any effect on us, right? Right? It's not a real person. But we're finding this pornography is rewiring our brains. But then to even think about it a step further, like what, what happened in the person's life in that picture, in that movie, where they got to the place where they thought, I'll have a career in porn? Was there tragedy? Was there hardship? Then think about the fact that these people are actually on movie sets with people holding lights in sound booms. We don't think about the consequences of all that because we're, we're just living in the moment of a sexual encounter. Now again, I said at the beginning, my goal here is not to make you feel bad. I'm not interested in that. And I don't think Proverbs is actually interested in making you feel shame or pain. We're just trying to look at the real consequences of our sexual choices. But here's one of the things that I've found. We as people are really unwilling to do that. We're unwilling to go, here is my sexual behavior. I don't want to know the consequences. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think, I don't want to look beyond the moment. We are afraid to look honestly at ourselves. We're afraid to. We are afraid to. But that's exactly how Proverbs is trying to get us to grasp wisdom. See, in Proverbs 5, verse 11, it says, At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed, and you will say, How I hated discipline, and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teacher's or listen closely to my instructors, I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. See, Proverbs is trying to actually get you to avoid shame at the end of your life by looking honestly at your sexual behavior now. Wisdom sees beyond the sexual moment. It sees the consequences. It looks honestly at the repercussions of a sexual encounter because wisdom sees that sex isn't like Play-Doh, it's like fire. Sex is like fire. In 627, talking about having an affair, the writer says, can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Ray Ortland says, sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. In other words, fire in the right place in the right time used by the right people is actually a wonderful gift. Fire outside the right place at the right time is incredibly destructive. The problem is that we don't see sex like fire. We see sex like Play-Doh. Play-Doh you can take and you can put it in your hands and you can mush it up. You can throw it against the wall. You can get it on the floor. It doesn't matter. Do with Play-Doh whatever you want to do. And the only consequence is you get that little stuff underneath your nails that you got to pick out. But that's not a big deal. But sex is not like (laughs) Play-Doh. 
Sex is like fire. See, uh, right now in our culture, we, we, we have two narratives going on that don't go together. One says sex is just biological, it's just a biological function, so just do it. And yet at the same time, we're having discussions about all this sexual pain and the Me Too movement and how important sexuality is. And it really can't be both things. The Bible correctly says that sex is deeply significant. It's a deeply spiritual act. And sometimes I worry that when it comes to our sexuality, Christians will go, well, you know, I don't want to be too uptight about it. Even if I make a mistake sexually or I sin sexually or I do foolish things sexually, God still loves me and he forgives me. And he will. God loves you no matter what you do, and he will forgive you if you're truly in Jesus Christ and you repent. But that's the wrong way to think about fire. You know, we were around a campfire with my kids about a month or two ago. And if you have small children, one of the most stressful things you can do is go around a campfire. You cannot relax at all. Uh, There are sticks and getting thrown in the fire, and there's hands everywhere. You know, it's crazy. But, you know, if my kid had stuck their hand in the fire and then pulled it out screaming and said, don't you forgive me? Don't you love me? That's a total disconnect. You just burned your hand. You just did something that I instructed you not to. The question isn't whether I'm going to forgive you. The question isn't whether I'm going to stop loving you. Of course I forgive you. Of course I love you. You just burned your hand. What a foolish thing to do. And as we think about sexuality and sexual encounters, it has the potential to burn our souls. Paul says in the New Testament that when we commit sexual immorality, it's a sin that we do against our own bodies. In other words, it hurts us. But it also hurts our walk with God because what tends to happen is we stick our toe in just a little bit and we do something that we know is just a little bit foolish but then it becomes easier to do that thing, and then we have to take a little bit step further, put our foot in the water, and before we know it, we are burning our relationship with God because we're no longer listening to him saying, quit it, don't stick your hand in the fire. Fire, if it is not used in the right place in the right time, it will burn. And this young man who is out at night in chapter 7, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong mindset heading right towards the fire. In 5.8 it says, keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. For a sexual encounter that is not wise, that is not of the Lord, that is not between a, a man and his wife, Stay away. Treat it like fire. It's not Play-Doh. It will burn you. You know, we see this in Genesis when Joseph is working in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife has her eye on him and finally she corners him and grabs his robe and he doesn't wait to have a conversation. That boy runs. He runs away. I knew of a businessman who would travel around the country, and when he traveled uh, around the country, he was good unless he went to Kansas City. And for some reason, when he was in Kansas City, he would get in trouble. And he had to make a decision, I can no longer go to Kansas City. 
I have to stay away. When I go to Kansas City, I get burned. I can't say no. So he changed his plan so that he would no longer go to Kansas City. About a month ago, I got home, and I pulled the mail out of the mailbox. And no one else was home alone. And I was flipping through the mail, and I just caught a peek, and I knew what it was. It was the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. There it was in the mail. Stay away. Maybe I'll put it over there on the counter and just consider and pray about what I should do with it. Stay away. Maybe I can flip past the pictures and read the sports articles. Stay away. I didn't give myself a chance to even think about it. Once I realized what it was, I flipped it face down on the desk so I couldn't see it. I rolled it up. I marched out the front door. I walked to the trash can. I stood over the trash can. I turned my head the other way, and I ripped it into as many pieces as I could. I shoved it down into the bottom of the garbage can, and I found some of the grossest garbage, and I put it on top and pushed it down even further. Then I walked back inside, and I picked up the phone, and I called somebody. And I said, hey, I just want you to know what just happened. I'm okay, but I need to let someone in on this, because there was a temptation not to stay away, but I chose to stay away, and I just need someone else in my head with me. And I'll tell you something. Staying away felt so no guilt, no shame. Talked to my wife about it, told her what happened. Bottom of the garbage can. Asked her if I could share it this morning. She said, sure. It feels so good. Now, this isn't a comment about the beauty of the human body or anything like that. This is a comment that says, that was fire with people that were not my spouse. Stay away. Our culture tells us that varied sexual experience, in other words, the more sexual experience that you have, is the path to wisdom. They say you grow up once you become sexually active. Proverbs just says something very different. Proverbs says that wisdom is to see sexual experience like fire and find the right use and the right place and the right time for fire. And we do that by looking at the one who created fire, the one who created sex. And what he says is wise, which is in the context of marriage between a husband and his wife. Now, I find this interesting. In Proverbs 5, we have been kind of erotic. I mean, there's been some erotic language used. But the most erotic language is that which is used between a husband and his wife. This is all sexual language. This is all sexual metaphor. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost, be lost, be lost in her love forever. Be lost in her love forever. Out of the text that we read, the most erotic is the one that's between a husband and his wife because they know each other. 
They know each other's past. They know where they've been. They know their why. They know that they're committed to one another. And sexuality in that context is absolutely beautiful. One of my friends, on every anniversary that he has with his wife, I think they've been married something like 25 years, he posts this quote from James K.A. Smith. And they've had beautiful seasons in their marriage, and they've had hard seasons in a marriage, but he posts this every year on his anniversary. Cultural forces extol the alleged thrill of sexual escapades, the novelty of one-night stands, and triumphs of an ending libidinal conquest. That just means our culture tells us that sex with as many people is as awesome as possible. What they can't know is the unspeakable joy when a woman who slept beside you for years rolls over in the morning and says, I love you. Imagine how mind-blowing that is. The woman who knows everything about you, whom you've disappointed a thousand times, is still there, is still there. That is intimacy. That is the context for the fire. Now, that doesn't always come easy, Sexual fulfillment in marriage, and marriage itself is hard work. It takes forgiveness and lots of conversations and patience and love. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we belong to each other. If you're married, you, you belong to each other. So don't deprive each other of the sexual encounter between a husband and a wife. And it's worth the work in marriage to work for that. I heard a story of a pastor who had a couple, a married couple, come into his office for marriage counseling. And they came in and they said, Pastor, we are having problems in the bedroom. We don't know what to do. And the pastor said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go home, and for this week, when you guys are doing your thing, don't focus on yourself. Focus completely on what the other person needs and wants in the bed. They said, okay, we'll try. And they went home, and whatever. <laughs> they came in the next week, and he said, how'd it go? And they went, eh. it was okay. He said, go home, do it again. Go home, when you have sex, focus on the other person's needs and desires. And they came back the following week. How'd it go? Better better. Okay, go home, try it again, focus on each other's needs. They came back the third week. How was it? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. It was worth the work in marriage. God wants our marriages to be places of sexual fulfillment and excitement. Rather than getting lost in a random sexual encounter, he wants us to get lost in the love between a husband and a spouse. Now, listen, I know some of you are unmarried. You're going, what? What does this have to do with me? Pastor John, this is rough. But I know the temptation is this. I know the temptation as you're single is to curb your desires in some way that isn't wise whether it's to find that someone that you can hook up with, whether it's to find that website that just eases the sexual tension you're feeling. Uh, but, but let me ask you this. I know that it is challenging 
to be wise sexually in our culture. It is, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. It is challenging, and I'm not going to lie to you. But let me encourage you to think about it this way. If you really want a godly person, if you really want to marry a godly person, do the very things with your body that you want them to be doing with theirs. If you don't want them hooking up with a bunch of random people, why would you do it? If you don't want them developing addiction to pornography, why would you do the same? So much of that is damaging long-term to us in ways that we won't realize for decades. Be the person now, as you're single, that you want your future spouse to be. Walk in wisdom. Don't walk in foolishness. And here's the beauty. All of us, on some level, are sexual fools. All of us have done things that we're ashamed of. All of us have done things that we regret. All of us have things in our heart that we would rather not share. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus welcomes sexual fools to come and receive his forgiveness, to come and receive his love, to come and be cleansed. The church in Corinth wasn't just sexually foolish. They were a sexual disaster. They were a disaster. They were doing stuff that would make people in Miami blush. After listing off all their past sins, all the things and the foolishness that they'd done, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, here's everything you used to do, but some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sex is exciting. But I'll be honest with you, a relationship with Jesus is much more exciting. A relationship with Jesus is much more exciting. Jesus covers your shame. Jesus heals your pain. Jesus will never use you, but fully give himself to you. He's never unfaithful. He always shows up. He, he, he never pushes you to the side. He always gives you all of himself. And so today, if you realize I have been a sexual fool, run to Jesus, who's full of grace for sinners like you and me. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.